Just in case you didn't hear last week's episode, I have a brief announcement to share with you. I'm just going to add it here at the beginning, uh, because this episode was all done and edited a few weeks ago. As many of you now know, Molly passed away quite suddenly. We're still picking up the pieces, and we're confronted with these interviews that I did with her just about a month ago. She was so very much alive. Now we'll have them as a kind of snapshot of where she was at in her life and what mattered to her the most. All right, let's just go into the episode and we'll just talk more down the road. It's New Year's Eve in New York, and I just don't have the energy to chase a date and that elusive midnight kiss. That desperate plan just never goes well. Somehow, I'm invited to a party right above the Mars bar, thrown by an aging theater director named John. But everyone just calls him Cookie Monster because of the pot cookies he hands out on any given night strong as hell. He's one of those classic downtown queens and has a habit of calling everyone Wanda. As in, hang on, Wanda. You'll order a drink after I get mine. When I arrive at the party, far too early, he asks me if I don't mind helping out. And he waves at cases and cases of Veuve Clouteau that are on ice waiting to be cracked open and poured. So I stand at a makeshift table, two sawhorses and a warped piece of plywood, making a wish as I open each one of them with that satisfying pop. I don't know who told me that you should do this for every bottle of champagne you open, but it makes such perfect sense. As people dance and drink, and I pour and toss empties, and open another and another. As the clock strikes and people count down, standing in the corner, surrounded by quirks, I'm banking up wishes, I tell myself. More luck than I can imagine. Fortune and fame. And maybe, just maybe, not to sleep alone next year. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. Welcome to the fourth episode of this season. As you got from that announcement at the start, we're keeping the episodes intact, and you'll hear Molly as if she was still with us. How this season has become a sort of accidental time capsule, I'm just trying to see it as a real gift, and I just want to hold on to all the laughter we can in this tough, strange moment. Okay, so this time we're talking about two of Spitball's instrumentals, Hair Dryer and Home Cooking. Let's take a step back in time to my conversations with Molly and Mike and Chris, the other members of Spitball.
cook it. Home cook it. Home cook it. Molly, here's a question. How the hell did Spitball start writing instrumentals? I loved surf music. It was also a rebellion in my own sense. I remember listening to Jimi Hendrix saying, I hope we never have to listen to surf music again. And I was like, screw them hippies, man. I love surf music. It was like, I put my foot down. That shit is cool. The Ventures and all them bands that just, they were garage bands. These are just kids, you know? Just the 14-year-olds that are playing in some garage in some place in California that I don't know anything about. And, you know, Wisconsin or Detroit. I was like, man, this is fun to dance to. And a lot of that inspired the way that I play guitar. Even though I I wanted to be a, a structured songwriter, when the four of us would get together, it was just so much fun. So much fun to just riff on, you know, guitar riff or Mike would come up with a bass line. Chris would start playing some weird drum beat and we'd, you know, as you used to say, stand and deliver. (laughs) You know, we'd kind of get going and there'd be just some crazy idea in my head. We'd have to have some lyrics in there, just like tequila. Obviously, home cooking is, you know, about drugs and hair dryer is, you know, I had that tiny little bathroom. And the person that I was living with kept leaving a hairdryer right on the sink. And I was like, are you trying to kill me? Because there's a sink, a toilet, a bathtub, and nine-inch square that you can stand in. So if you accidentally knock the thing over, you're getting electrocuted. Those are just the things that we would say on top of them, just like old surf songs. But it was more about us just being kind of cynical, you know, and having fun and being like, why do we need lyrics? Why do we need this? Let some people dance, have some fun. And it was kind of a, a drift from the more structured lyrical songs that we had, like Parkside or Rachel. It's fascinating because they juxtapose so well against the structured songs, and it makes such a great set list. Here's a little mayhem. Here's a little story. I have to imagine being in the audience was so cool instead of here's 12 songs that are ridiculously similar. I (laughs) kind of think of it as somewhat schizophrenic, but um, I've never been in the audience at one of our shows. I don't think we understood when the song has one word in it that we yell every once in a while. The audience will remember this word and also yell it at the same time. Yeah. Which was a fucking party. Yeah, that was fun. Hair dryer. Which one did you like playing more? Home cooking or hair dryer? Uh, I think hair dryer was more fun to play. That stop with home cooking, it was like home cooking. You know, it was a difficult thing to do, but we just never had the cash flow to rehearse that stuff. So on stage, we were figuring it out. Like, oh, let's play a show. For us, it was free rehearsal. There's another little story in here, too, about how much time we put in at the First Street Cafe. Yeah. Which was, I think we were there every Thursday for quite a while. 
And this is where Jeff Buckley used to play. Yep, that's right. <laughs> some unknown guy played some cover of some Leonard Cohen song right. a couple people have heard two or three times. I actually lived two doors over from there. Right. <laughs> but, you know, the time at the First Street Cafe, which was a small place, we couldn't be the super loud rock and roll band there. And we were playing there every week. I felt like it was a live rehearsal with an audience where it was free to get in. I remember my back would be to the window. I'm such a freaking idiot because I would always wear a white T-shirt and then I'd get a magic marker and write on the back of my T-shirt, free rock and roll, you know, come in. And I had like eight T-shirts with that on it because I would never remember to wear the same T-shirt. <laughs> Just working out stuff in front of an audience regularly, that practice, it makes you tight enough so that you can be loose. Because at one point, rehearsing just the four of you, it's a little too safe a space. Yeah. I think maximum 10 people could sit inside. Oh, yeah. It was a rehearsal with 10 people listening. So it really did sort of formalize things. Right. And it definitely put you on your toes, but you weren't standing over a shark tank. Yes, exactly. It was like some goldfish on the floor. (laughs) Right, 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 right. It was a lot of fun, though. I would always look forward to those nights. We're spitball. And, uh... This is a song called Hair Dryer. For all you dancing cats out Chris, why do you think we started playing instrumentals? When I think of Hairdryer, it's a great riff that's got kind of a catchy chorus. And I felt like it's a throwaway 
but not like a disposable throwaway. It's something fun that was come up with pretty quickly and left there. Whereas with home cooking, I feel like we mapped that out and we've really worked pretty hard on it. It's got pretty freaking complicated parts, at least on the drums. And it's, at least for me, it's right at the edge of my ability to not fall apart. There's a lot of talking inside of uh, Hairdryer at the pauses where we're all saying just kind of nutso things. And just having you in the saxophone, it opened up so much more. It's like, I don't know, drums, guitar, and bass for instrumentals is one thing, but kicking a saxophone into that just really opens up a lot more doors. I think that's why instrumentals really started happening. It's probably because you came along. I think I didn't really understand that when I was playing them. Yeah. <laughs> they were just more songs. Yes. I loved that there was one word that the audience could memorize. Yes. We would show them really clearly when they should say it. <laughs> hey, audience, you're going to sing this song right, with us. Right. Every time we stop, yeah. scream this, this one, one word. word. Yep. Okay, open the dictionary. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Okay, hair yeah. dryer, fine. Okay, everyone yell hairdryer when we stop. Right. We were like the little rascals putting on a show. Yeah, oh, (laughs) absolutely. And, you know, if you're in a band and you're looking to have like a calculated image and be tough, East Village band and all that shit, honestly, if there's one word in the song, uh, it's not going to be hairdryer, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Crocodile. Yeah, or dope sick, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be fucking hairdryer. You know, I'm such an innocent. I always thought home cooking was about cooking. (laughs) Here's one for you, though. I remember how that happened because I used to listen to the Mills Brothers and there's a song, I like coffee, I like tea, I like the job, job, and it likes me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this one guy in the back of the song goes, home cooking. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember talking to you about that at the bar. But uh, yeah, that's what it was not what it was for me. So it was a kind of a double entendre. <laughs> I just love that that turned into drugs. So that was our heroin. It's actually combining baking soda with cocaine. <laughs> you know, Not that I would ever do something like that. I I remember, I mean, on a side note, when we were playing with Vince and later we had gotten a, you know, very inexpensive rehearsal studio where we could practice, of which, you know, that wasn't that much better. We were coming down Clinton Street, crossing Houston on to Avenue B, where, when the old gas station was there and everyone was like, C&D, C&D, C&D. And Vince was just jokingly says, wow, coffee and donuts everywhere. <laughs> When I first met you, I was living in my cousin's place on Clinton Street. All right. That was when poison was the thing. And every five feet you were walking, poison, poison, poison. Eh. 24 hours a day, cop cars just circled trying to catch something. And when it was late at night, the only reason you walked on that block was to get poison. And I would run (laughs) down the street with my keys waving in my hand. Please just let me open that door. Please, please, please. (laughs) Thank God I got the hell out of there. Years before that, there was uh, Suffolk Street Boys had body bags. Oh, yeah. That shit was gnarly, man. Took a lot of people down. It was the fentanyl of 30 years ago.
which instrumental do you like more, hair dryer or home cooking? Oh, that's not even close. Hair dryer's a throwaway song. Home cooking's a masterpiece. You're integral to that song. The riff, then the little bits that we say, you know. And then my favorite part about home cooking is, but I did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. And I don't remember if I did it on the bass and was following you or if you were following me. Well, but I definitely didn't uh, write it. I was absolutely following whoever did it. Okay, must have been me, but that was, uh, I just love that part. So home cooking, without a doubt, it's a unique song. It's probably well constructed without being constructed. Mm. We were never these really genius arrangers. Hey, let's try this, you know. What, you mean we shouldn't send that one to Van Dyke? Parks and see what he thought of it. <laughs> hey Van Dyke, what do you think of this arrangement? Oh my God, what what do you think of the two? What's your faith? When Hair Dryer came on, I felt like it was just permission to make mayhem. Mm-hmm. Hair Dryer is a real empty white piece of paper song. I could play okay. anything I wanted to it, and my part was never fully set. One of the things about being a sideman, you end up playing the same solo, give or take, every gig. And in the beginning, it's fun. And eventually, it becomes, I'm not going to say a chore, but it's just not as joyous. Mm-hmm. Hair dryer, however of a goof of a song it was, I could play whatever the fuck I wanted on that song, as long as I stopped and didn't play where the breaks were. Honestly, I think it was the song that the audience fucking loved. And yeah. I've yeah. said this to everyone else. They knew the words. <laughs> <laughs> Hair dryer! <laughs> I tell you what, audience, you sing this song. <laughs> it was kind of a fan favorite. Seriously, the fu- I, I think that we got such a high off of the fans liking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think for us, they were both a little bit goof experiments. I don't think any of us expected them to be this crazy dance fest insanity. Yeah. Someone could get pregnant during that song if you're not careful. Like, there's some crazy <laughs> shit going on, man. No, seriously. I mean, I remember this like fat, sweaty guy who was like at so many of our shows. He had like blonde hair and he was just like uh-huh. fucking pumping his arms in the air. And, like he knew he knew every beat of that song. It's like he had the shittiest life, and he knew that he was going to see Spitball on Friday night at the Continental, yeah. and they better fucking play Hair Dryer, man, because that's my jam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he was, like, living his perfect moment, and I do remember always looking yeah. at the audience saying, this is all about you. It's not my favorite song, but the crowd loved it, and if you're a band, your mission is to move the crowd in some way. Be Hilly Crystal for a second. I have this club, CBGBs. Every time these guys play, people freak out. Exactly. I'm going to bring them back. Because New York audiences are too cool to dance. They're like standing (laughs) there and nodding. But I remember, I mean, Tracy would bring friends and they would dance and you would bring friends who would dance. My friends were mostly dudes sitting on the sidelines. Watching the girls dancing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I remember asking my friend, how'd you like the show? uh, Those girls were amazing. I was like, no, but how did you like the music? And they're like, those girls in the audience are amazing. So did you like the third song? or the, They're like, what songs? <laughs> Girls. Are they going to be there next time? Uh, song's called Home Cooking. Take me home, mama.
cookie. I met this girl, she was gonna take me back to her place. I told her I'd eat whatever she gave me. So when we played home cooking, what was your process of figuring out what you were going to say during the breaks? I wanted to say something funny, and what I came up with was just way too wordy. And so I think a lot of it ended up just being, yeah, you know, mumbling. All right, thanks for having us. Our name is Spitball. Thanks for coming. This is a song. Hey, wait, aren't we going to be on TV? Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to be on Channel 69 on Sunday at midnight. And we're playing at Brownies tomorrow with special heads. Saturday. Or Saturday, sorry, you know. Wrong band, yeah. Days of the week. And uh, if anyone has a cable and a VCR, none of us have cable, so tape it and uh, send. we'll give you our address. You can send us a copy. So, okay, as the bass player, you don't get a lot of love. You don't get a lot of moments for attention. So I probably talked a little more than I should have. I'm sure that that's a part of it is, hey, hey, what about me? The charm of the chatter in between songs was between you and Molly. Yeah. That's like perfect casting. Because between the two of you, when I listen to that stuff that was said in between songs, I'm like rolling on the floor. I can't even breathe. I'm laughing so hard. Yeah. Between the two of you, it was perfect. Uh. Setting the tone right away. I want to thank everybody for not being at that other show up north. Hello? Is there a David Draper in the audience? Uh, this guy wants to know. Uh, Report to the stage, David. The car's on fire. We're Spitball. We want to thank everyone Tom and Hank, the sound people. And uh, the brain surgeons, thanks a lot for playing. 
This song called Rachel. Now here's what. Do you remember Robert Bruton introducing <laughs> us at the Continental like a pirate? <laughs> and he went, Arg! It's Spitball, you mateys. And I think he jumped off the stage into the audience when we went into the song. I swear to God, that guy looked like he was 90 years old at 40. Other gigs, you might make like $10, but at Continental, they gave us drink tickets. Like, here's two free drinks, and we would give them to, you know, our girlfriends or fans, or but we would give them to Robert Bruton, which was like, which was like lighting a fire and saying, oh, this is going to go well. <laughs> that dude was legend. Cooking. Home cooking. Mike Webb endorses his hey! brother's base. Oh, One thing that I do feel like unites those two songs is, um, you know, kind of a good sense of humor. I mean, whenever home cooking came around, my one contribution at the top of my lungs, I would just yell, peas, you know? <laughs> that combined with, you know, what Webb was shouting out, what Molly was saying, uh, what you were saying. I never said you a word. You didn't say anything in that one? No kidding. Never said really, a word. Really, really, really. Of course, because everyone's talking so much. What am I going to do? Honestly, the horn parts, there's so many freaking horn parts. Oh, yes. I needed to breathe. Right, right. The weird thing, too, is that, you know, there's all that kind of yelling and goofy stuff. But then Molly's scream coming out of that is from completely another world. I want to say one of the later shows, she jumped off of amplifiers and, like, wiped out on yes, stage at that yes, moment. Yes. Yeah. It was kind of getting yeah. a little too, like, the Three Stooges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would just go for stuff. You know, a lot of times she would stand on my bass drum, which was great. And yep. she'd turn around and hold a guitar to me, and I would play with my right hand yeah, 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 on her yeah, strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there were other times where, you know, I mean, being young is leaping before you look. I specifically remember one time where she jumped off the stage onto a table that people were sitting at at CB's and the table didn't fall it exploded <laughs> you know why the fuck would there be a table at CB's anyway <laughs> that was a bad idea we helped them get rid of yes, the tables yes absolutely <laughs> yeah Honestly, I, I'm trying to remember, you know, I think your arrival, just having you in the saxophone, it opened up so much more, especially with the instrumentals. I'm just trying to remember when we had rehearsals, we had rehearsals, and then we had ones that were more writing sessions. Yep. And it's not like we said, okay, we need more instrumentals. It's not like it was ever that conscious yep. choice. They're all songs. It wasn't like this huge difference. For sure. This is a weird segue, but... um. So I recorded my second album this summer. I kind of took my greatest weapon, this voice that people were connecting with, and I said, there will be no voice. Yeah. And it was all nothing but playing various stringed instruments. There's dobros, wow. guitars, banjolas. Yeah. And what blew my mind was how much thought and emotion and intensity is in this mysterious atmospheric stuff I wrote. 
you normally think that instrumental music is like wallpaper. Yeah. Or movie soundtrack. But you never think of instrumental music being profound. Yeah. And at the same time, the risk is you're just kind of noodling around and you're pretending that you wrote right, a song. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the bullshit factor. Right. I was just trying to get better at making music at home. I thought I had to write more songs. Right. Yeah. And in fact, all I had to do was play some guitar. And it just becomes this space that I'm in. Wow, right. I'm still learning this stuff. 30 years later. Absolutely. You know, the last band I was in, the surf band, all of our stuff was instrumentals. And we wound up feeling that a 45-minute set of a band doing instrumentals of three guys on stage, no. It's a stretch. So that's why we performed with two go-go dancers. And then we had a huge screen behind us where we'd show monster clips and stuff like that. But there is a real skill to constructing an instrumental. So... Chris, you and I are, oddly enough, the two people who are still making music. Who knew that was in the cards? No idea. Especially, at least for me, with drums. If you had told me when I was younger that I would still be needing, you know, not wanting, but needing to play in a band at this age, I, I would have told you to fuck off. You can say all the artistic stuff, like this need to be creative and this and that. I've never liked recording. The kick for me has always been playing live. If you do get those magic moments of getting it back from the audience, you know, you can't get that anywhere else in life. How about you? Well, I don't think it's a shocker that I'm still making music. It's the shocker that I made this great decision to put the horn down and pick up a guitar and open my mouth. I think that still to this day, a lot of people who know me from back then, their jaw drops. They're like, you sing? Yeah. No. They're like, you play guitar? Yeah, who cares? Yeah. Not that I really play guitar. (laughs) I do things with guitars. (laughs) Right, right, right. I think I had done everything I wanted to do with the horn a long time before that. And if you're not playing with three people like you guys, it's just not going to happen. Being the horn player was an M.O. Yeah. It's something I loved. It was a character I liked playing. Who's that guy? He's the horn player from Spitball. Yeah, absolutely. Then I understood I didn't want to be the horn player from Spitball anymore. I write books. For sure. What? You can't write books and be the horn. Fuck you. You, One of them you suck at. (laughs) So I kind of needed to put everything down and get really quiet, buy some guitars, and try to, you know, be Leonard Cohen. Yeah. The home studio is where I can be very vulnerable Mm -hmm. and very brave sometimes yeah and i do think that brian eno concept of sure do something with these songs that can only be done with these studio manipulations yes that creates this city this cloud out of that one note you made you made this place yeah like you can go there yeah for sure absolutely i can make leaps of faith in that world yeah with a certain amount of confidence right if i did something shitty or or interesting listening to you speak it sounds like you working in the studio is very very similar to a band of guys being in the room together yeah bringing up other ideas and you're responding to what's happening and that's maybe changing this so it's similar but in a very different way I find myself thinking of that old expression, 
if wishes were horses and beggars would ride. There's so many things I would wish for right now, so many things I would unravel and undo, and to somehow travel back and just try to fix them. And nothing against hopes and dreams, but they can become a black hole, sucking everything into them and leaving you with nothing in your hands. Maybe I had to learn to spend more time doing than wishing. I don't think it takes so much energy to ask the universe for something you deserve, but to go out and get it by yourself, to move forward without a safety net. Well, maybe that's the real work. All right, songbirds. This is the place where I tell people where they can find us. We're on all your favorite podcasting platforms, and even the ones you've never heard of. Or you could just go to songbirdpodcast.com. That's the only place where you'll find the show notes. I'll put the link for a wonderful obituary for Molly there. If you're interested in the music I make, just search for Martin Ruby, that's the band name, on Bandcamp or Spotify or iTunes and the rest. Or you can just go to martinruby.com. I have a new album coming out in January. It's called Jacob and the Angel. Next time on Songbird, a Leonard Cohen razor blade rag, the truth about Carl Schneider, and some old school ska. Thanks for listening. Songbird is produced by Bittersweet Content.